0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd,
1: 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We're recording on a Saturday night after the Hawks' game three win before game four tomorrow in State Farm Arena. Uh, What'd you think of game three, Glenn?
0: Uh, Fun game with a satisfying outcome for Hawks fans, of course. Um, Yeah, I I thought it was interesting. It um, things looked rough at two different points at least for the Hawks and they managed to kind of dig their way out and, and, make the game competitive again. And, um, you know, that, that kind of, uh, path back to a win, you know, makes me feel like maybe there is some reason to hope they can push this series, you know, a little deeper, um, than that was looking ahead of this game. Um, they could kind of work through adversity fight back and control the game on their home court. Um, I so from that, um, that viewpoint i think it was an impressive win obviously a a critical one there were a lot of things they did differently um i felt like in this game i put some of that on out on twitter but um you know we could kind of get into get into that here in a bit but just overall an impressive um performance around being down 14 nine minutes left an eight seed against the one seed already down 2-0 that that's not a lot of eight seeds come back and win that game from that kind of statistical standpoint, that probability standpoint, so that that was impressive to me.
1: So, did did the Hawks relocate Trey some?
0: They did. They had him on the sides more, um, and as, as opposed to kind of getting him in the middle. You know, in games one and two, we saw him kind of put up a lot of shots over the set defense from, you know, the kind of more center point of the court. But uh, you know, one thing they were doing a lot of was just putting a shooter in a corner. And, uh, you know, in the first half, it was Hunter a lot and, and having Trey kind of drive right at that corner, which, which really is driving at the defender that's on that shooter in the corner and making right the defender help defender. Cho- yeah. Right. The help defender and and making that trying to make that defender choose between staying tucked on the shooter in the corner or coming down and helping close off that driving lane. And that was something they went to over and over and over mixed results in the first half, um, Miami love us to pick Kyle Lowry on that, in that spot. Uh, and he's one of the best in the league, in my view, kind of gapping that situation. And, and they really couldn't do a lot with him. Um, but in the in the fourth quarter, you may remember a lot of the shots that Bogey got from that left corner. And a lot of times when they get the ball, the Hawks weren't really trying to look at, you know, what set are we trying to run or where are all five of us trying to set up? Bogey would just run to that left corner. She would kind of get on that left boundary and start driving there. And this was mostly, well, this was, you know, most of that work was after Lowry left with the injury and you had Bam there on one play, you had a uh, hero there on another play. And when it wasn't Lowry, they were able to really, Trey was able to force um, that defensive helper off of bogey and create those shots. And, and, you know, bogey shooting in the fourth quarter was so critical to them kind of getting back in it. But a lot of that was Trey not trying to get to the middle not trying to get to a screener in the middle or multiple screeners in the middle, just staying on that outside boundary and driving right at the shooter at the corner and trying to make that little uh, area work. And, and they had a, a lot of success. This was, you know, hundred and what ten hundred eleven points has been their best uh, offensive output in the series, and that was a lot of the adjustment that I saw that worked well for them.
1: When the Hawks do that, you know, if if you know you give the heat 48 hours to say okay the hawks are doing this now it's different uh what comes next you know what do you suspect the heat might use to do that because that's like you know your 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 nba maxim for what you're supposed to do on defense is not help from the strong side corner but of right. course you know the heat clearly want to help on Trey. they want to show as many bodies on him as possible and the hawks are kind of forcing their hand in that in that regard. You know, if if you game plan for it, and you have that sort of in your that whatever that game plan is in your pocket, what would you do to try to counteract that? Um, well, if I'm
0: my aunt, if I'm Miami, you mean?
1: Yeah. Well, Sorry, t- yeah,
0: yeah it's okay. No, it's, it's fine. I'm a little sure fuzzy. That, yeah, I mean, for for me, it is. It's about getting my defense set. It's about getting back on transition, matching up the way I want to match up. Because if the Hawks can kind of find those opportunities to push the pace and not let Miami get matched up man-on-man in the way that they are designed to get matched up, but have to kind of scramble and get matched up in whatever way they can because you're pushing the ball up the court. So on the Miami side, you're wanting to prioritize hustling back and getting matched up in an optimal way. That's how you avoid – hero being that guy that Trey is driving at, you know, tucked in the corner there, the, you know, one of their um, lesser defenders, um, or Duncan Robinson, or Max Struess, or, you know, even, you know, Bam is not super accustomed to kind of being in that spot. Um, you know, kind of the famous big man who's been doing that this year has been the Celtics using Robert Williams to be the guy that they'd start on that guy in the corner and bring him in as a helper and things like that. But from a Miami standpoint, it really is you know, them executing to their principles and their fundamentals, it really does, they do need to get their their guy, their guy guys set because of the uh, kind of the deficient defensive players as they play, Hero, Struz, um, Robinson being, you know, most of that. Everyone else is at least above average and they have a couple of like, you know, all all defense level defenders kind of mixed in there. So it really is bogey- bogey or you know when it's not bogey it's going to be herder as the second guy you'd like to have doing that hunter was doing some of it sprinting to that corner try pushing the ball up the side and trying to catch them with one of their lesser defenders in that area and taking advantage of that so it really is about can the hawks get there before they get set on the other side is can Miami get back and get set the way that they want so they have themselves optimized in terms of which defender is where and how they're how they're getting lined up so it's kind of about pace effort you know switching into the floor quickly and and i think that's one of the areas where game four will be won or lost depending on which team kind of can 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 kind of do that so i don't know that there's anything kind of magical about trying to funnel Trey back to the middle um really there um because they want to keep trey out of the middle that's why they're loading three bodies in the middle all the time whenever trey has the ball in the middle so i think that they're um likely going to be fine to see him kind of get in that area they just want one of their better defenders on him and then one of their better defenders um, on on that strong side corner, because you're right. In the NBA, uh, a general principle is we don't help out of the strong side corner, but that doesn't mean that better defenders like Lowry and other guys like that, they'll stunt like they're going to come at right. Trey and, and which and the goal, is like, why do they do that? Well, the goal is to make Trey stop, yep. which helps the guy in front of Trey because it stops his momentum and allows that defender, right? So that's what a stunt can do. It's a dig, right? The, when if there's a dig, you're trying to catch him as he's coming into your area. The dig is designed to make him pick the ball up at 12 feet instead of eight or seven feet, right? Which gives your shot blocker more time there. So if Trey kind of gets out there uh, and then they can use that stunt or they can use that dig or, and they can help the guy stay in front of Trey Um, but have a trustworthy defender who can navigate zoning that space and get back to the shooter. That's what Miami wants to do. I don't think it's going to be more anything more sophisticated that terms of an adjustment to the adjustment that the Hawks made. So I'm watching pace switching into the four, getting matched up. Can Hawks press the ball, get there before Miami has the guys where they want it and make that let one of their lesser defenders get into that zoning space and take advantage of that. Either trade getting into the scene if they sticks on the shooter or getting the ball to the shooter if the guy pulls way in to help stop trades going to be a huge part of game four, I think. And I think in the first quarter, we'll kind of see some um, evidence of who's doing um, who's
1: making the most out of that area of the game. Uh, I'm trying to get all the pieces of the logic in my head, right? Cause I'm going to start from a weird starting point here, but, but see, see if I can make something coherent out of this. Last season, when the Hawks were playing the Knicks in the playoffs, you know, it, it struck me that one of the things that the Hawks could live with was Reggie Bullock trying to make a play off the dribble. Like you know, of all the things that the Knicks could do, you know, the Hawks really didn't give a flying wit about that like you want that have at it sort of like the the bam 15 footers you want that have at it but yep. it feels a little bit to me like the heat in their pursuit of trying to shut down trey knowing that that's going to take a certain amount of manpower and attention they don't really care if deandre hunter tries to make a play off the dribble like they can live with that and they're going you know they're gonna try to get their bodies other places like if if they you know if the ball gets to him hard close out get him off the line he's dribbling you know okay we can live with that the hawks in the second half of game three <laughs> I'm gonna get there I promise there's a lot of, there's so much like yin and yang just back and forth yep. but like in game three it felt to me like okay what do we need to thrive here what do we need to Make this work for us, and it, you know, in putting Bogdanovich and Wright out there, Dolan Wright, they get more ball handling. They get more guys who can make a play on the move. In addition to some defense, like they're they they were pretty good defenders. But and this is, uh, you know, the whole yin and yang thing. When they put that lineup out there with a Kongwu, you know, you got four guards, a uh, Kongwu. They did a lot of things well the one thing that they didn't do well is they didn't clean the glass very well. That's not a great rebounding lineup. And so, you know, when we talk about this tray attacking the seams from the sides, you know, to get that pace in transition, to get things going like that, they're going to need enough defensive rebounds out of that lineup to make it happen. <laughs> Sorry. It's like a five-step process and it's like too late at night for you me get to get there, but all right. Does that make sense? It it makes
0: perfect sense. So one part is I do think that he want Hunter kind of the ball into tight space, right? And they had success turning him over uh, in, in game three and Hawks fans. Well, you know, if you just go by what's on Twitter, there's a ton of frustration with this ball handling and it's been a challenge for him, you know, this year and uh, a team, uh, a veteran team, that knows how to kind of work together is it's going to threaten his level of ball handling in tight space. So I think, I do, I think you're exactly right. The heat are going to continue trying to make that happen. Um, what the Hawks want to do, I think to keep him in a, in a safer spot, it, we don't know if Lowry is going to play game four, right? Uh, I'm going to guess it's, I'm going to guess he's more likely to not play than play, but, but we'll see in the third quarter of game three, the Hawks were going at Lowry on the block, which is kind of a strange thing because you and I talked about how good he is for a guy his size fighting down there and not letting you catch the ball where you want to catch the ball. And he gets away with a lot of contact and physicality. You and I talked about a lot about how smaller guys get more leeway there. He knows that, he takes advantage of that. But in the third quarter, they were going right at him down there. JC had a couple of touches down there. Hunter had a few touches down there. And what the Hawks want to do is kind of keep hunter closer to the baseline let him work one-on-one use his face-up skills which is which are still pretty reliable Yep. um or it, it, depending on the spacing they put him in the corner and just let him shoot the three-point shot he scored he scored what 17 points last night so he had a you know from a scoring perspective he helped with the enough of the production to kind of get them to 111 to help them get that win what what miami's going to do is to make deandre feels like he's not going to get anywhere on the baseline or he needs to come out of that corner and push him closer to the elbow towards the free throw line extended. And that's where a second defender, maybe even a third defender shows up. So the Hawks are going to try to give him the ball, enter the ball to him close to the baseline as possible, or put him in the weak side corner and rotate the ball to him with space to put up that shot. I don't, I think the heat are winning when they can make him drive towards the paint from the corner or even drive from the paint towards uh, from you know more the the um the three point break. You know where the Hawks will sometimes run. That's where the, the Hawks will set him up in that slot pick and roll, depending on which defenders are on there. But I, I think I think that's another thing to watch is when he's dribbling in the tight space, the Heat are winning. When they can keep him on the baseline and let him use that face up, you know, package that he has, the Hawks are getting more of what they want. And especially when the Heat are playing a smaller lineup. Um, then, you know, they have to work through JC and Hunter. That's really, you know, perhaps Gallo too, but Gallo, Gallo hasn't uh, had the kind of best uh, track record so far there. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that that's a huge part for Hunter. Um, they, need, they need him defensively, but he played 32 minutes in game three, no rebounds, no assists. Several turnovers, and that's why they closed without him until they got into the timeout situation at the very end of the game and could put offensive and defensive lineups specifically on the court. Um, so if that's how it's like Bogey, um, I think had four rebounds in the fourth quarter, uh, which and every one yeah. of them were, were I mean, it won, they won by one point, they needed every one of those, right? Um, so he got the one on the game, winner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it bounced he,
1: right to him, but I mean, he got that one,
0: right? But he, but he's showing up that he's coming down there yep. to help out and when, when you That's watch right. the hogs like part of this is probably they're getting tired or they're feeling stressed or whatever but but you could tell by the when they're rebounding the right way as a team there are four rebounders down there and they're yep. kind of setting up in a box if you will right um kind of a box formation to collect that when they have four down there i think they're going to be fine even if it's a kongwu at the five and either say like gala with the four or Hunter at the four, the four guys have to show up. If they, if they don't get four down there because they, they've had to like X out on the perimeter. Now you have two defenders way out, you know, because you've had to close out on two different shooters that leaves yeah. you three. And it's hard for that fourth when they get back. So, you know, a lot of it is kind of keeping the ball in front of you, not chasing the, the ball rotating on the perimeter where you're have two or three guys, you're running out at shooters, potential shooters. And staying constructed in a way that four guys can get there, um, it's kind of wild to me that in the fourth quarter, game three, the Heat, I think, mean, twenty-five points in the fourth quarter. I think if I'm, going, I'm going from memory, thirteen were on second chance points, more than half of them. Um, so it was that almost cost them the game. As, as well, right. like in the fourth quarter, Okongwu. You know, you put it on Twitter. Okongwu played like the last. <laughs> like 13, 13 plus minutes, I, Fifth, I think. 15 and 20, 15, I think I, there you go. Right. And, and, and right had more than the 12 minutes, even more. Yep. Quarter, right. Um, And Miami was two for six at the rim in the fourth quarter. And Okongwu was really impactful and really good and really solid there. But even when he would kind of affect the shot all too often, they would get, um, get the rebound. So right. part of that, it's like, Jenny Butler is just savvy and he knows how to kind of get work his way down to a spot to kind of get that, um, mm-hmm. get that rebound. So, you know, it's containing the ball, not getting the ball working around the perimeter where you got one, two, three guy, more than one guy chasing, closing out on shooters and having four guys available to come back and help rebound. I think, I think critical. I think it's a great call out.
1: We we talked earlier at some point earlier about this series with respect to how the heat are trying to exploit Trey's defense in a different way than most teams do you know, the, the, uh, with a lot of teams. They're trying to make him sort of the the low weak side helper where he's not really going to be able to get up and challenge stuff at the rim and you know, it's hard for you, you know, he's really just not of a size or capability that he really gets a whole lot of good bumps or anything down there in this series, you know, he's guarding the, the screener a lot of times and, you know, the, the pros and cons there, but I, I think one pro for the heat in that regard is that a lot of times they can now kind of pick at a second. One of the Hawks wounds is that they can make Gallo that weak side helper. Right. And it's not going great for him. They'll stick P.J. Tucker in the corner on the weak side and say, you know, we, we you know, P.J. is not going to do much on offense, but we would love to have him shoot a corner three. And if you're not guarding that, then you're not going to, you know, you you're he's not quick enough to kind of both guard P.J. Tucker's corner stuff and get to the rim for help. And And I think that's a problem that the Hawks have going forward.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's a great observation. They're trying to put Trey into the primary action and put Gallo on the weak side corner. I think goal number one is that he's just not that effective helping at the rim either.
1: That too. Right?
0: And <laughs> right. and and so if there's like, a say, a guy cutting from the weak side, from the weak side three-point break to the rim, Gallo getting there, or like if they're running a side pick and roll and Bam ends up diving kind of right down the paint, you know, he, he's just going to struggle to kind of make an impact there if, if there's a guy dribbling at the rim like it that's not a you know a primary creator he, he can kind of get in front of a guy and use his length to kind of impact that but when it's someone diving a lob or someone cutting he he just doesn't have the foot speed and then if you can get him to the point where he has to pull in just like you described just now and then has to get back out changing directions i felt like there was a about a week and a half of the season, you and I joked about it, I think at around sometime in January, where it looked like he had some kind of fresh legs and he was like actually getting back and forth. But right. that was right. pretty short. <laughs> short. It's not happening now. Yeah. I mean, they don't um, get
1: through the, the the Cleveland and Charlotte games without some really strong Gallo stuff. Exactly. And now it's looked played. like those 40-minute efforts took a toll now.
0: For sure. And he looks like he's um, – um, feeling the impact of all those minutes and, and like I, I agree with you they had to have him out there those games Miami's trying to take advantage of that for sure uh, and again the more you can contain at the point of attack the more you can help protect Gallo right. in that spot from yep. getting put into a situation so it's about ball containment like there were I think two or three times when the Heat had uh, it may have even been when Trey was off, but they had Hunter and Herter navigating sides uh, pick and roll side screen action and Hunter and Herder kind of miscommunicated and and didn't understand who was going to be the one that was going to stay on the ball and who was going to move out with the, when the screener kind of moved out, and they they have to be more solid there because that's the kind of stuff that's going to create uh, as much opportunity for the Heat to attack Gallo. That's the helper right there, so contain the ball, be more solid there, be more proactive in your communication, and that's going to help. You know, Trey, if he ends up down there like he had, was across, across the whole season, that was the trend, like you mentioned. And now in this series, it's I my mean, one put Gallaudet down there. The more you hold up at the point of attack, the less uh, likelihood that he's going to get exposed there. And then if that's the case, then you can leave him on the court
1: more and get the offensive value he gives you. I'm just going to put this out there. And <laughs> this is uneducated except for the fact that I was at practice today watching, I think Clint Capella might play. Like I, I, I think the probability, like if if, if you ask me to, to sort of bet a 50, 50 straight up bet, does he play or doesn't he play? I am going to say that he plays like he did some stuff today. He was doing a lot of drill work. Uh, I didn't get any good footage of, uh, what was taking place when Nate was speaking? Because I was recording Nate, so I couldn't use my phone as my camera. But he was kind of banging some bodies down low and some, in some, you know, offensive post drills. Um, you know, he went up for a dunk to test sort of the landing. He did some sort of, uh, you know, some some driving deep knee kind of running actions. And then you know there was a there was sort of a long discussion with him and Matt Hill and the trainers and like, you know, not like, well, like, I don't know, no obvious, you know, horrifying facial expressions. Like, Oh God. Yeah. That's grim. It it was, it it seemed like a, a sort of a neutral dialogue with, with a lot of concern and, you know, I'm sure he's not feeling great. He, there were a couple of times you could kind of see him flex that right knee. He was out there with no like brace or sleeve or anything on it. Uh, I think there's a chance we might see him. I, I think he kind of got through that. I mean, a lot of us surely going to depend on, well, how do you feel tomorrow morning? I doubt that he does anything at shoot around. I, but you know, clearly they'll ask him, you know, how he's feeling and then he'll have the, he'll, he'll probably be a game time decision. Uh, That's kind of an infamous thing at this point. Right. Uh, But I don't know. I, I am optimistic that he plays soon, if not Sunday, then Tuesday.
0: Yeah, my, my gut is that, I and mean, I feel pretty solid about him playing Tuesday, just based upon the reporting that I heard from you and you know a couple of other people that were there at practice today, and which was the, the same consistent kind of observation that you know that I think people were hearing coming from you all. Um, and I, I think in terms of tomorrow, I I feel like if I had to like predict that I think he plays some. I think the evening game helps. It lets him get kind of, you know, a day's worth of treatment ahead of that, you know, to kind of get him to a point, right? If this were, a, you know, the early game, I think it, it's less likely that, you know, that that's the case. Um, I, if that's the case, I, I wonder if he starts or JC starts at the five, and they kind of stay with what, um, you know, what they've had the last two games, um, um, you know, and if he's limited so i don't know 12 15 minutes or something like that you know, who knows but it might be one of those things where he gives you some time in the first half just to help jc and kongwu um have a you know as many minutes for the second half as they can have and fouls you know yeah as, as well yep. um is yep. the thing so so you, you know it might just might just be kind of competent as there or if you throw him out there in the first half and say you play him eight nine eight minutes or whatever in the first half and he's just feeling good and he's um Helping Trey offensively generate a little bit more at the rim, you know, as he does and as he can do, and stuff. that maybe roll him back out in the second half. But if I one of those things were like, hey, we're going to give him some run in the first half, and we'll, we'll just help everybody some. Um, and then depending on how it goes, you know, we'll either not play him in the second half. It was kind of rough and choppy and wasn't much rhythm. Or we can get him back out there and kind of give him some run, and then, and then play it by air in terms of who closes. But it would be huge. I mean, it would be, I think, absolutely huge to be able to have him for those minutes, especially because um, the, the re, uh, in, the re, in the rebounding category, which we talked about a few minutes ago, just to uh, um, be able to put him on. Like even if, you know, if, like in those two defensive positions they had in the game last night, um, then, you know, if he's out there to help you rebound, you just feel a whole lot better, you know, about being able to end a possession with a defensive rebound. So I'd be excited to see it. Um, I'm trying not to get, you know, too excited about it because I know it might not happen, but it it just feels like we're going to see him some tomorrow. And if for some reason that doesn't work out, I think,
1: you know, game five feels like a, a real likelihood to me. Sort of torn between asking you if there's anything else you want to talk about or kind of directing it. Like, I kind of want to ask you, like, what are all the nice little things, all those fine details that you saw on that game winning floater, like from the rebound to the, oh, yeah. to the actual basket, what are like all the, because it felt like the Hawks did a lot of things right there beyond just Trey, like that, you know, I, like for, for me, for starters, like Bo, Bogey didn't do anything special to get that rebound. Like it carried hard off the rim, right to him. Right. But like, he was like, giving Trey sort of the underhand handoff like the second it got to him like yeah. it was one motion rebound handoff go so like for me that that was like step one of of getting things done right
0: yeah and 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 yeah it wasn't a special rebound it was a rebound that found him but I you know I just remind listeners you know, bogey is so experienced in international play and, and bogey just knowing i'm going to get the ball right to our guy right and no question about it, it's going to go straight to him um delon even talked about what he did in, in post game briefly he mentioned i gotta get to the corner right so delon worked to that right corner um bogey found himself initially on the same side of the court as delon and bogey which was the key to the whole play in my mind was apart from having Trey, who has a great floater game, right. Was bogey realizing I am on the same side as DeLon. DeLon's ahead of me. DeLon's going to the right corner. And and bogey cut in front of Trey and went, you know, right to left all the way to the left wing and was ready to work all the way to the left corner as the ball got deeper, if he needed to, and if you, if you kind of use a, a parallel, like in, in football, sometimes a team will run a receiver through an area just to kind of soften that area up and then bring a second receiver through there to create an opportunity to get the ball there. It kind of, in my mind, it kind of worked that way. Bogey cut all the way across from right to left. Yep. And everybody on the heat, as they were trying to get kind of matched up and, you know, and you'll see defensive teams pointing and communicating, like you got the ball, I've got this, You know, you'll see all of that. And it took them – I don't even think it was a full second. I think it might have been like about a half a second of, oh, this guy's cutting across. So, you know, and I think it was um, Vincent that was pointing for Butler to account for bogey Mm -hmm. um, on that – on what would be the left offensive side. And that opened up that space. Vincent um, was accounting for, I think – I guess the other guy on the court would have been – I guess her, I can't remember who was on the court then. Um, but maybe <laughs> Hunter, yeah. But uh, but but Vincent was counting for someone. But Vincent was the one doing the primary communication around. As oh, Hunter was, was on the court. I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought we yeah. were
1: talking about who he had on. Yeah, yeah the Hawks right. had Hunter on. And he kind of lagged behind the play.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but I mean, Delon, the veterans. Delon getting to the right corner. Buggy buggy cutting through getting to the left corner. softening up the middle, and Butler was occupied by bogey just long enough that trey got like a, an extra step maybe it wasn't you know, a full step it was like three quarters of a step and butler just couldn't quite kind of get there to impact um trey's runner he, he eventually got and kind of got in front of trey but trey was already well into you know getting into his floater and butler was just just trying to kind of distract him and i think trey hit butler um in, in a non-foul kind of contact you know kind of at that point uh, and such. But yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was Delon and Bogey knowing exactly what to do to create space for Trey. And then Trey just doing what he does and driving right at the middle of the floor and getting to his panted, panted uh, floater. But it, it was, I mean, it was quick, quick, quick. But, you know, if those are two young wings or a young guard, a young wing that are out there, that even for like a second, a second and a half, think i need a little processing time to figure out where should i go what should i do you know the fact that it was Delon and bogey exactly what you want uh, for the hawks in that situation and i was i was glad that it was obvious that no one on the coaching staff and no one on the floor was thinking about a timeout they're like let's go you know and um and i thought uh i think nate talked about it afterward i don't want spo to be able to get his defense set i don't want my to get (laughs) get their defense set that was also big and it worked out. It worked out great. I mean, what, what Delon and, and Bogey did were were so helpful to opening up the space in the middle and softening that area. And Trey went right at that soft spot quickly enough before they could kind of collapse. Any opportunity to collapse on him, you know. And Trey joked like he's he, he said after the game, if they got there, I was ready to pass the ball out. If you if you think I'm not uh, capable of doing that, just go <laughs> <and> ask Tony <laughs> Snell right, who had right. the game winner last year, I think against Toronto. Uh, down in Tampa, if I'm remembering that game correctly. Ooh. But uh, but DeLon in the right corner or Bogey on the left wing, I think Trey would have made that pass had Vincent got there, had Butler got there. But um, but the timing of Bogey cutting through just softened that middle up perfectly, and Trey went right there and got that floater off as a, a thing of beauty. Uh, but the great question, because there's a lot going on there that I think uh, – maybe a more casual fan may not realize like what Delon was doing, super intentional, what Bogey was doing, super intentional, Trey's recognition of what that gave him to work with and getting right in there. I mean, that's, uh, you know, if the Hawks don't play whatever number of playoff games they played last year, I don't think they execute that well. Now it was like, we're going. And everybody just, you know, those three guys knew exactly how to create spacing and leverage and create that spot in the middle. It was uh, you know, I, when Trey got to his floater, I was like, "That's going in." You know, I, I I couldn't I couldn't even imagine him missing that because he's so reliable there. But and then you know, on, on I thought on, a Kong on,
1: would did a good job. I because I, he was ready. Yeah. He he yeah, I thought he did two things really well. One was that on the on the heat possession, you know, with that rebound that goes to Bogey, he's leaning on, bam, right, and he rode that for like an extra couple of seconds after Bogey had the ball. And that kind of took Bam out of the play. Like, Trey had a good lead on Bam before Bam was getting down court. And I thought that was that was really big. And, I, you know, honestly, that could be accidental, but I don't know. Okongwu does a lot of the stupid shit. I think I can say shit. Let's see if I get a warning from SB Nation for this. But <laughs> he does a lot of stupid shit, right? Like, he just does all that gritty... Leaning, yeah. handing, getting to the right spot. And I, I think that he deliberately rode Bam a little bit extra to get him out of the play. And then I liked how when Trey took the floater, like he was kind of going in for the offensive rebound, but he was kind of pacing himself, you know, kind of like 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 an Olympic high jumper. You know, he he didn't like get right under the rim. You know, he kind of took the small bouncy steps and you know, if that came off, he had gotten – he kind of built up that momentum and kind of stayed far enough away from the rim that he could kind of go in towards it as opposed to just, you know, having to go straight up and maybe having a body hit you. I, I thought he was in a really great position uh, if it did come off. Yeah,
0: it's funny. When I went back and rewatched the play, as I wrote about the game last night and, 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 and put some material on Twitter, I thought that seal on Bam, I, I think mostly was about the rebound right, just making sure you know that he's not right. going to let Bam get to the rebound. But, you know, you and I have talked a lot about, Anyaka, uh, about how a lot of his advanced stuff kind of goes back to his time at Chino Hills playing with Alonzo you know, and, and LaMelo. And, and, the, and those teams played super fast end-to-end, kind of pushed the ball up. And I would not be surprised if that's something that he – learned somewhat <laughs> kind of at, at that level because his job right. was to help those guys get out and score a million points and you know do all the crazy stuff they were doing and stuff um but you know it's it, and then there's that parallel of like slank getting capella who had run a million pick and rolls with hard and giving him to trade right and then when he drafted a Konglu, a guys who, play, a guy who played with the wall brothers and knew how to kind of be in that supporting you know kind of position and to have the it's just like it there's just a lot of sense that it makes in terms of what those guys have with the margin. So, and then on top of that, as Jimmy moved down towards Trey to try to get, you know, have an impact on Trey's floater and Yekka went to the left side of the rim slightly, which was of the available space that was there. And I thought that was, I think that was probably instinct, but he didn't go to where there was a crowd and, and and he wasn't on a full on sprint. So you mentioned that uh, younger guys, a lot of times will get hyped up and kind of, be at a full sprint and like overrun the play you know yep. he had perfect pace and he had i think good feel for kind of where to go if the ball came off but yeah it's um a lot of good work and a lot of good individual execution um to help them help them get that and then i the execution on the stop was great by deandre but it was a mess <laughs> it was a mess otherwise i don't know if you right. want to take a, a 12 minutes and talk about that i didn't even
1: notice it until i saw you you post about that so <laughs> i i that's the one thing about being in the arena is that uh you know in the in the budenholzer era the bench was in front of us right since moved to the other side and i really I, we have a hard time from where we're sitting seeing anything on the bench uh but you notice something and uh and you probably noticed it from from the body movement too, but you you also noticed it from the coaches flipping yeah. out. Yeah, well, it was funny because I mean, to talk for a second about what
0: Jimmy likes to do. I mean, there was a game, I think it was this year, the Hawks won where Jimmy got a shot on the final possession from the right corner, and Jimmy wants basically the whole right half or that whole right wing. I will call it that way. The kind of the right wing available to him. And so as Jimmy, you know, 4.4 seconds, they end down the ball. Jimmy comes kind of up to the top of the key gets the ball and starts working. Right. You know, a lot of times Jimmy wants to get near the right three point break, get to his right foot and creates that step back three. He's made a lot of game winners with that move more recently for whatever reason, I don't know if he's getting, just getting a little older or whatever. He likes to get all the way down to the right corner if you go back and watch that play, PJ is in that right corner, and he very intentionally clears out of the right corner um, as Jimmy starts working right in case Jimmy wants to get all the way to the corner. I don't think he. Had, I don't think there was time for that, but PJ was still like, "Hey, he might want the corner, so I'm going to clear out." Yep. Uh, DeAndre does a great job, just kind of staying in front and not letting him get a direct path to that step back that he wants, right. but. Uh Jamel McMillan was jumping up and down and waiting, get over here, get over to hurt her, get over here, get over here, get over here. Uh, they wanted to basically kind of double him and to present that second defender to what would be Jimmy's right to contain him and then play three on four uh, away from the play with what would be like a second on the clock. If Jimmy gave the ball up, it would be like a second, a second and a half, you know, at the most that they had to work with. And and it would have been a like,
1: bad spot for PJ Tucker. Like he was kind of in no man's land. Like that's right, right. You know,
0: and, and taking and that also body
1: to, off of him w- really wasn't a huge penalty because, like, no. it would have been a hard pass. They wouldn't have had a lot of time, and he's like twelve feet away on the baseline for a floater. Like it's just not. It's not an optimal spot if they went to him. So, right, you know, but you made a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, but you could tell the design was for Herder or whoever was on, uh whoever started that right corner, which ended up being Herder, yes. to get out wide of Jimmy. And that just didn't happen at, at all. And Jamel was losing his mind. And I don't know what Herder saw that made him think, like, I I, I don't want to get out there. I don't want to you know, expose that. <laughs> but as soon as the play was over, Nate was not, like, celebrating. Nate went straight to go. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm just looking at body language. But, like, what are you doing? We, it was, I felt like what I was seeing was, why did you not get out wide of Jimmy and and help contain that so that he had to kind of stay closer to the top of the key or possibly give the ball up with very, very short time left? Um, thankfully, DeAndre kind of bailed that play out in a sense because of how mm-hmm. well he rode Jimmy without fouling, yep. um, which was, uh, you know, just a huge defensive play. But it was it's kind of funny to see, you know, the – the offensive possession kind of went perfectly and you can kind of break down what everyone was doing and saying, this was perfect. On the defensive end of the court, it was Dre. It was Dre kind of saving the fact that Herder didn't get to where he was supposed to be from. I'm sure of that based on what I saw. And then which means that the rest of the guys in the court really didn't matter, you know, but if Herder got out there wide, the other three may have had to kind of zone up the other four. Right but it never got to that because Herder kind of kept it four on four by not getting out wide of Jimmy. So kind of funny, but I guess, I guess in that sense, all, all's well, that ends well, um, you know, if this game, if, I'm sorry, if this series goes in like six games or you know, maybe seven games, you got to assume there's going to be close games again. And Jimmy's going to have the ball in the, the game and look to get right to that right three point break or all the way down the corner and, and maybe it'll help that they kind of mess this one up to kind of go back and say, look, we have another shot here. Jimmy's going to want to do what Jimmy wants to do in the end game, get right, get right, get right. Let's get out. Let's get that second defender out there wide of him. And, um, you know, sometimes having a failure um, in the mix when you get a narrow win like this can help you, especially in the playoff series because you're like, this we're going to be here again and we're going to get it right next time. Um, and, and, uh, I think sometimes that can give you an opportunity to elevate the focus and and rehash that and make sure that next time
1: you're very clear on who's doing what. Yeah, I'm pretty sure today's quote unquote practice was mostly film work and, and some shooting and some testing of healthy bodies or to see if they're healthy, I guess that is, but, uh, I bet that, I bet that play came up. (laughs) I would, I would, I would guess so. (laughs) Uh, Have we missed anything? I don't, I don't think so. Um, You know, again,
0: what I'm watching Sunday is using that corner the way that they did. Can the Hawks get back before the Heat gets set? Can the Heat get set? It helps them. Um, Your to your point, can the Hawks get four rebounders back? Right back helping contain the ball and not having to chase multiple shooters in the perimeter. Those are the big areas. Um, if Capella plays, how does that impact the rotation, the starting lineup, et cetera? How do they how do they kind of work that out? Those are the big things that I'm watching. But if Lowry can't play, you know, the, the, the one last thing is you're gonna get more of Harrow plus Struce or Hero plus Robinson, or what you know, you're gonna get maybe three of their deficient defenders in the court at the same time, which both tries to stay away from, or um, you know, Robinson played very little in game two. You know, he might get back to more Martin and Vincent, you know, but because because the Hawks were avoiding drawing Bam out on Trey, it was P.J. that they put on Trey. And I think they played Robinson more in this game because they wanted a bigger defender, you know, uh, since they were using their power forward, essentially, on Trey. So super interesting to see is, like, are we seeing Martin minutes or Vincent minutes or some of both? If so, Miami's playing a little smaller there, and can DeAndre – know get more face-up opportunities when those guys are on the court or if Lowry's not playing is it a whole lot of pj plus Duncan um which is a bigger lineup and can the Hawks kind of use that to push that pace and get that corner scene you know kind of set up so a lot of it too will be which way to spoke of Lowry doesn't play is it more of his guard smaller guards or is it more of his bigger lineups um that's another thing to keep an eye on too so I think that's everything I have um that I'm watching the first you know, few minutes of uh, the game on Sunday.
1: Very good. All right. Well, basketball time. Basketball time. I'm going to sit here and watch the fourth
0: quarter of Wolves-Grizzlies and uh, and uh, enjoy that. And then uh, um, be ready for some Hawks heat tomorrow and see if the Hawks can tie this thing up.
1: All right. I appreciate your time, sir. Thanks, Kevin.